we're happy about that. You know, I found it interesting that when we came in this morning, this clock here wasn't working. And there was a lot of concern that we should get that, get that, get a battery in there. I think people were worried that I was just going to keep preaching and never stop. But here we are in this snowy moment, and we've had some interesting weather this week, right? Sub-zero temperatures, white stuff on the ground, and you know, <laughs> what it boils down to is this is an interesting time of year. It's an interesting time of year. We're near the end of January, you know, we're, we're really in the middle of this, right? We're in the middle of winter, but kids are back in school college students back on campus, I hope anyway, you know, all bets are kind of off with this whole COVID thing, but this is a time when we settle into the more mundane things of life, and really the holidays are way in the rearview mirror. And some of the toys that kids have been given, they're kind of starting to lose interest in them a little bit. Some of the toys may even be broken into the garbage by now. But the fun gifts have sort of begun to lose their luster. Now, me, I don't get fun gifts anymore. As I get older, Santa becomes more and more practical. I don't know if you guys have noticed that in your lives, but definitely more practical. And I'm not even supposed to be getting gifts. Because my wife and I have this agreement that we're not going to give each other gifts for Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, anything like that. Inevitably, every year, though, that rule seems to be broken. And this year was no exception. I found under the tree a couple of boxes for me. Now, it said to Andrew from Santa, but I think we all know where this is coming from, right? The irony is Santa seems to have the same wrapping paper that we do every year. Kind of weird, right? But again, this year was no exception to the rule of the breaking of the rule anyway. I had a couple of presents to unwrap and one I unwrapped, and it was, it was a, a, a box with a couple of long sleeve T-shirts in them. Very, very practical. These are things that I wear all the time. And then I open the other box, or tear the wrapping paper off the other box, and it's a box of light bulbs. And I'm like, wow, this is really practical, right? I mean, I'm thrilled that I got light bulbs. You always need light bulbs, right? Well, everything kind of sat as is for a couple of days. And my wife decided that it was time to kind of clean things up and put stuff where they belong. And I'm walking through the kitchen, and I see this beard trimmer sitting on the, on the kitchen table. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool gift. I said, hey, Nance, who got that? She says, you did. I'm like, no, I didn't. And she said, yeah, you opened it. It was in the light bulb box. <laughs> I, I, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
seriously. I never opened the box. I was thrilled to have light bulbs. I never opened the box. I never took the time to examine the gift and fully open it. I had no idea what it really was. I had no idea what it was really for. That box could have sat on a shelf until I had a light bulb go out. You ever done anything like that, though? Honestly? You ever gotten a gift that you didn't open all the way? You know, you, you saw the box, you thought it was one thing, but it turned out to be something completely different. Or maybe, maybe you open it and you do see what it is, but you're not exactly sure how to use it. Or worse yet, how to put it together. I think we've all gotten those gifts that have some assembly required, right? And I know that guys are not big on reading instructions, but sometimes that is the only way to understand all about that gift. See, if you don't investigate the reality and the totality of the gift, chances are you won't be able to use it to its full potential. Or maybe even use it at all. Well, this is our third message in our series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And friends, the Holy Spirit is very much like that gift that we just described. Now, through our study up to this point, we have come to understand that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God the Father. But if we don't take the time to study and understand the gift... We may miss all of what God is giving us or all of what we are able to do with it. That's why we're taking our time and we're learning all that we can about this sometimes misunderstood third person of the Trinity. Emphasis on person, right? Because we did learn that the Holy Spirit is God we also know that the Holy Spirit is a person, just like God the Father, just like God the Son. And through our study, we've come to understand that we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of the gospel to us. There are mysteries that we cannot understand without the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We also learned that we need the Holy Spirit to be obedient to God's commands. In particular, the commands to, anybody remember? Love one another and care for one another. Those are the two commands that we looked at last week. We cannot do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we've learned up to this point. Because as the commercial says, but wait, there's more. Our message for today is titled, The Promised Gift. The Promised Gift. And as we said, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And it's interesting because throughout the Gospels, we see the coming of this gift foretold. 
John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. And this is even before Jesus began his earthly ministry. He said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. We looked at it last week a little bit in John chapter 14 where he was teaching his disciples in the upper room. We see Jesus promising the gift of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at a passage that describes that promise fulfilled. The coming of the Holy Spirit. So if you would... Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right after the Gospel of John. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21, because this passage here describes the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Holy Spirit. Now, before we dig right into this, to kind of set the stage, let's look at the book of Acts in general. And the book of Acts actually begins with another instance of Jesus promising this Holy Spirit. To understand the chronology of events, Jesus had already been crucified. He had already raised from the dead on the third day, just like he said he would. And he had been seen by many. He had been seen by the disciples, the 12 apostles, the 120 disciples, and then by as many as 500 people at one time. And this all happened over a period of 40 days. And just prior to his ascension, right, Jesus ascended back into heaven, back up to God the Father. In Acts chapter 1, he says, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he left him. He left him. And, and we've talked about this before. I've got to believe that this was just a crazy time for these poor disciples. Their, their leader, their teacher, this guy they've been following for three years, he's left them now a second time. He left them the first time that he was crucified, and yes, he did raise from the dead on the third day. Hallelujah. But now he's going away again. He's leaving them. What are they going to do? Well, we find out in Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, Luke writes this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So it had been 10 days, 10 days since Jesus ascended back up into heaven. And we know this by using simple mathematics. Now I know you guys came here today understanding that there would be no math. 
but let me walk you through this. Pentecost, which is what is happening in this passage, Pentecost is a Jewish feast that is held 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover. Now, what happened at Passover? Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. And we know that he showed himself over a period of 40 days. That leaves 10 days, right? So we know, we know that it's been 10 days since Jesus ascended. But you know, the disciples, they didn't know this. They didn't know this. Jesus told them that the promise would come. He never said when. So they're left to guess. Is it going to be a day? Is it going to be three days, five days, seven days? They had to wait ten days. But what did they do in the meantime? Well, they did what Jesus told them to do, right? They were obedient to Jesus' command. They stayed together in Jerusalem. They were probably in the same room, the same upper room that Jesus had taught them in. Now, they might have been kind of freaking out and might have been really afraid, but they did what Jesus commanded them to do, stay together in one place, in Jerusalem. And then Luke describes this, this, this crazy sound that comes from heaven and then these images of flames that come to rest on each one of them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The promise fulfilled. There's just a couple of things I want us to take away here. The first is this. God will always fulfill his promises. God will always fulfill his promises. And this means the filling of the Holy Spirit. But it also means all of the other promises that we find in his word. And there are many, right? Absolutely. Promises to love us, promises to care for us, promises to provide for our every need. The promise that everything's going to be okay. Now, it may not happen according to our desires, right? Or our timeline or our expectations. But his promises will always be fulfilled according to his will and his perfect timing. God's always going to fulfill his promises. The second thing is this, and this is something that Jesus emphasized last week in that passage that we looked at from John chapter 14. Several times Jesus referred to something that we see the disciples doing here. He talked a lot about, anybody, any guesses? Obedience, right? Obedience. Obedience is the way we show our love for God. The disciples were obedient Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. That's something that applies to us as well today. And then Luke goes on to describe this, another crazy thing that happens at the end of verse 4. He says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So this was Pentecost. This was Pentecost, which is the feast of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And this was probably the best attended festival in Jerusalem of the festivals that took place. And the reason for that was travel conditions were actually optimal at that time of year. So as Luke describes, there's people from all over the known world at that time. And we won't bother to dig into each one of these places. We'd be here all day doing that, but the clock is working, so I'll keep going. But there were multitudes of people, and they were from everywhere. And I think there's something that we want to remember, and that is that many of these people here may have been at the Feast of the Passover. And what do we know happened at the Feast of the Passover? What happened to Jesus then? He was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. These people might have been around for that. But here we see the disciples, and this wasn't just the 12 apostles, this was a large number of believers, and they're speaking in tongues. And the original Greek word that's translated tongues here is the Greek word glossa. Glossa can also be translated languages, which I think makes a lot more sense here probably a little bit more correct, since the tongues or languages were understood by the various foreigners present. Probably not the sort of tongues that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's kind of a different deal. That's actually a whole different sermon. But the disciples, what are they doing? They're declaring the wonders of God. And each person in Jerusalem is understanding them in their own languages. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, which, don't miss this, allowed them to do something they are unable to do on their own. The Holy Spirit allowed them to do something that they were unable to do on their own. And friends, that same Spirit, that same Holy Spirit is available to us today. That same Spirit will work in us. That same Spirit will enable us to do things that we could never do on our own. Maybe not as miraculous as we see here, but maybe. Well, we see more of this in the, in the following verses. 
in verses 14 and 15, it says that Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, let's stop here, because I want you to really think about what it is we know about Peter to this point. I mean, what have we seen in Peter throughout his time walking with Jesus? Tend to be real impetuous, right? Well, very often he spoke without thinking, right? But what most recently had happened around the time of the crucifixion? What had Peter done? He denied Jesus, right? Not just once, but three times. Three times. Now what do we see? We see Peter stand up and raise his voice. And, and friends, this is a remarkable change. He now has the courage and the boldness that he clearly didn't have 50 days earlier. What happened? What's different? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up. He speaks without fear. He speaks with conviction. And of course, he tells the crowds, these people are not drunk. But he goes on to quote Joel chapter 2 in order to explain these strange events. In verse 16, Peter goes on to say, no, meaning they're not drunk, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, which means I'm supposed to be dreaming dreams. You can laugh, it's okay. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now there's, there's, there's multiple levels of, of prophecy in this quote from Joel chapter 2. And we're not going to investigate them all, but we're going to look at a few. First question I want you to ask, I want to ask you is, what was Joel and Peter, as he quoted Joel, what were they talking about? What were they referring to when they said, the last days? Were the people of Peter's time living in the last days? Are we living in the last days? The answer is yes and yes. Because the last days are the times of the Messiah ushered in with the arrival of the birth of Christ, and looking forward to 
the second coming. These are the last days. The long-awaited Messiah at this point, when Peter's addressing the crowd, the long-awaited Messiah had come and his saving death and resurrection had been accomplished. Now God promised that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all his people. Now, what we want to understand is that up till now, and from the beginning of time, the Holy Spirit had been given to certain people at certain times for a particular purpose. And we see a lot of evidence of this in the Old Testament. We actually looked at a few cases in our series, Working Our Way Up to Christmas. If you remember, we talked about Zechariah and Mary and Simeon and how they had been filled with the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose at a particular time. Now the Holy Spirit is poured out and indwells and lives in and lives with. This is the new covenant that was ushered in in Jesus' blood. The Holy Spirit is now an abiding presence. This is why, as Peter explains, these people are doing extraordinary things. They're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in languages. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is only the beginning. This was only the beginning. But the beginning of what? The beginning of what? What we're reading about and what the people at Pentecost were witnessing was the birth of the church. It was the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. We sang about this just a few minutes ago. Did you hear the words? Did you hear the words? Do you live those words? Do you, do you understand what you're singing? Please, please don't leave these worship songs just blow past you. Listen to the words. Because that song, King of Kings, it takes us through the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Son of God. It takes us through His death and resurrection. And then it goes on to say, The church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we seek to build Christ's church and advance the kingdom of God here on earth, here in Lowell, here in northwest Indiana, and to the ends of the earth, we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows this. He knows what we need. He knew what was needed at Pentecost, and that's why in Acts chapter 1, he told the disciples to wait. He said, wait, you cannot do what you have to do on your own. Wait. Because in verse 8 of chapter 1, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you and this is for you, too, and me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Lowell, 
in Judea and Samaria, in northwest Indiana, and to the ends of the earth. We need the Holy Spirit, friends, to build His church. It cannot be done without it. And what's really interesting is our message, our message is the same that Joel prophesied thousands of years prior. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the, the power that you yield wield in, in business or the money that you have. It doesn't matter. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I look at what has been accomplished in this church so far. And what has been done is extraordinary. Things that this church has achieved and accomplished, they are extraordinary. And I am confident that what happens in the future will be extraordinary. But here's the thing. We know, we know that this has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. This church has not and will not be built on our abilities nor our wisdom. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. But with him, we can do all things. Paul claims that in Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. And where does that power, where does that strength come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing else. And here's the deal. That power lives in each one of us. That power lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You want to do something extraordinary in this world? You want to do something extraordinary in this church? You can. Absolutely you can. Now I know some, some people are going to say, oh, you know, that, <laughs> that's not me. I, I could never do you know, what Peter or the disciples did. I could never, you know, uh, stand up and preach or proclaim the gospel or, or lead a Bible study. And you know what? Maybe, maybe God isn't calling you to that. But maybe he is. You can do it. Do not sell yourself short. Because each one of us can do extraordinary things because we have the Holy Spirit of God on our side. Friends, 
the promised gift has been given. Let's, let's open this gift. Let's, let's, let's take the time to fully understand it and live into it. Because if we do, we will accomplish extraordinary things for Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You. And we stand in awe of who You are and we are in awe of Your plan of redemption. We are in awe of the Holy Spirit that You pour out. And Lord, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can, that we can even think about building Your church. And Father, it is Your church. And I pray that you would continue to pour your Holy Spirit out upon this church, upon each one of these people, that we might do extraordinary things to your honor and to your glory. Father, all the glory goes to you. We praise you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.